Harriet Beecher Stowe, Herman Melville, Charlotte M. Young. To us, they're the almost untouchable authors of classic literature, but to their contemporaries, well, that's another matter altogether. This is Lit Slashing, a weekly podcast bringing you history's most notorious, bad, backhanded, and brutal reviews of literary classics. I'm Dr. Courtney Floyd. And I'm Dr. Eleanor Dunville. And today we are going to be talking about Anthony Trollope. And if you'll excuse me, a very flippant biography. Anthony Trollope was an English postal worker who also wrote some novels, I guess. He should be best known for being extremely rude about his mother in his autobiography. I'm just like poetry snapping at you. Yes. So I thought rather than looking at reviews of any of his novels, as a point of similarity with his mother, I have a review of North America by Anthony Trollope. This comes from (laughs) the Continental Monthly in 1862. And a note beforehand for anyone who might want to look up this review, talks at length about Anthony's discussions of enslaved people and black people in the United States, which is frankly pretty racist. This review is calling him out on that, and I've trimmed it to exclude really egregious references, but if you're going to look it up, it just contains some upsetting bits. It is not likely that Mr Trollope's advent in the country would have given rise to any remark or excitement, his novels, clever though they be, not having taken hold of the people's heart as did those of Dickens. He came among us quietly, the newspapers gave him no flourish of trumpets, he travelled about unknown. Hence it was that few knew a new book was to be written upon America by one bearing a name not overpopular 30 years ago. Curiosity was combined to the friends and acquaintances of Mr Trollope, who were naturally not a little anxious that he should conscientiously write such a book as would remove the existing prejudice to the name of Trollope and render him personally as popular as his novels. Mr Trollope treats of our civil war at great length. In fact, the reverberations of himself on this matter are quite as objectionable as those in the Trent Affair. It is his treatment of this subject that must ever be a source of regret to the earnest thinkers who are gradually becoming the masters of our government's policy, who constitute the bone and muscle of the land, the rank and file of the army, and who are changing the original character of the war into that of a holy crusade. It is to be deplored, because Mr Trollope's book will no doubt influence English opinion to a certain extent and therefore militate against us, and we already know how his mistaken opinions have been seized upon by pro-slavery journals in this country as a bonne bouche which they rarely obtain from so respectable a source, more palatable to them, coming from that nationality which we have always been taught to believe was more abolition in its creed than William Lloyd Garrison himself, and from whose people we have received most of our lectures on the sin of slavery. Our first ground of complaint against Mr Trollope's North America is its extreme verbosity. Had it been condensed to one half or at least one third of its present size, the spirit of the book had been less weakened and the taste of the public better satisfied. The question naturally arises in an inquiring mind, if the author could make so much out of a six-month tour through the northern states, what would the consequences have been had he remained a year and visited Dixie's land as well? The conclusions logically arrived at are, to say the least, very unfavourable to weak-eyed persons who are condemned to read the cheap American edition. Life is too short and books are too numerous to allow of repetition. Now for some more talk about the question of slavery in the book. 
It is sad that so fine a nature as that of Mr. Trollope should not feel conscience-stricken in believing that, quote, to mix up the question of general abolition with this war must be the work of a man too ignorant to understand the real subject of the war, or too false to his country to regard it. End quote. Yet it is strange that these two ignorant or two false men are the very ones that Mr. Trollope holds up to admiration, and declares that any nation might be proud to claim their genius. Longfellow and Lowell, Emerson and Motley, to whom we could add almost all the well-known thinkers of this country, men after his own heart in most things, belong to this ignorant or false sect. Is it their one madness? Mr. Trollope claims to be an anti-slavery man, but we must confess that our way of arguing the ground he stands upon in this matter is anything but terra firma. And this is just after a quote from Anthony Trollope, which says some frankly disgusting stuff about how none of the four million enslaved people in southern states have any capacity for self-maintenance or self-control. Um, that's a direct quote from him. He confesses that without these four million enslaved people, the South would be a wilderness. Therefore, they do work to the music of the enslaver's whip. How very odd that the moment men and women, for Mr. Trollope does acknowledge them to be such, own themselves and are paid for the sweat of their brow, they should forget the trades by which they have enriched the South and become incapable of maintaining themselves, they who have maintained 350,000 insolent enslavers. We have the firmest faith in Mr. Trollope's honesty. We know he has written nothing that he does not conscientiously believe, and he has given unmistakable evidence of his goodwill to the country. We are lost in amazement when he tells us, I know I shall never again be at Boston. We should be thin-skinned indeed, did we take umbrage at a book written in the spirit of Mr. Trollope's. On the contrary, the Americans who are interested in it are agreeably disappointed in the verdict which he has given of them. And though they may not accept his political opinions, they are sensible enough to appreciate the right of each man to his honest convictions. Mr. Trollope, though he sees in our future not two but three confederacies, predicts a great destiny for the North. We can see but a union of all, a union cemented by the triumph of freedom in the abolition of that which has been the taint upon the nation. If Mr. Trollope's prophecies are fulfilled, and God forbid, it will be because we have allowed the golden hour to escape. Pleased as we are with Mr. Trollope the writer, who has not failed to appreciate the self-sacrifice of northern patriotism, Mr. Trollope the man has a far greater hold upon our hearts, a hold which has been strengthened rather than weakened by his book. The friends of Mr. Trollope extend to him their cordial greeting, and Boston in particular will offer a hearty handshake of a hand to the writer of North America whenever he chooses to take that hand again. I found that ending really weird after the content of the review, to be honest. It is, yeah. Yeah, I kind of, the reviewer kind of flip-flopped there. Because, like, basically, you know, to sum up that review in three words, it's verbose and ignorant, right? <laughs> and racist. Yeah, they are, like, I extremely edited it down to not include things that would be frankly upsetting. Mm. But they're ripping into him the whole way through. He criticises people who say the Brits should have sympathy with the North and with enslaved people trying to get their freedom because, quote, they have power and therefore we can't have sympathy with them. And the reporter is like, what are you talking about? It's like, that's not how anything works. That's, that's completely wild. Jeez. Yeah. It's a weirdly measured ending for a review that the whole way through has been like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why he's saying this and rightly standing up for enslaved people being like, what is he talking about? I did like what it said. Why would they forget the trades that they've been propping up the South with as soon as they become free? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder if it's like the editor reads this and he's like, I have one note. <laughs> yeah, You need to be nicer that, at the end. 
That's my impression. And also, though, it's only just under 100 years into the history of America, and they're like, maybe we should be a little bit nicer. But it does seem like they were told at the end that they had to pretend to be really gracious. But they do still say, we hope what he thinks happens will not happen. Mm. Mm-hmm. The impression I get is they're like, we have to be the bigger person. We have to be like, no, you will be welcome in Boston. But also, you're talking up a, it's a rubbish, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, write about stuff you know, dude. <laughs> Take a page from Jane Austen, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the reason I picked this, which is really interesting, is... Um, I don't know if this is coming out before or after the one on Francis Trollope, but mm. all the reviews up for her are like, she keeps talking about slavery and how it's bad, and we don't like that. And then this is... Mm-hmm. She keeps talking about slavery and how it's good, and we don't like that. It's a really interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, that's fascinating. If you want to tell us about why Entity Trollope is trash, we are here for it. <laughs> you can also leave a review uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at litslashingpod or visit our website litslashing.card.co. That's card with two R's. Thank you for listening. us quietly. The newspapers gave him no flourish of trumpets. He travelled about unknown, 